0: God, thank You there is no one else that we can fully trust in, that we can fully place um, all of us in in perfect safety. I pray that You would uh, strengthen us, that You would encourage us this morning. God, that You would just open up Your Word to our lives, to our hearts, to our souls. I pray that You speak through Michael. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. And if you would uh, be turning to... First Peter Chapter Two, and then put a finger there, and we'll actually start uh in matthew twenty one Jim read just a little bit ago <clears throat> so first Peter chapter two, and then matthew twenty one well so that's been almost a month since we have been in first Peter we talked about prayer a couple of weeks and then um, Jim talked to us about Palm Sunday, and then we had Easter, and so we're returning back. So I want to review a little bit, remind us of where we've come. And remember, this is the summary statement, which we're going to add to uh, in a couple of weeks. One more line, but remember, Peter is writing to these people and to us based on what God has done, how they are to live where they don't belong when they're facing difficulties. And all of us fit into those categories. Same thing that God did for them, He's done for us. We really are in a place where we don't belong. And all of us in some form or fashion, whether small or large, face difficulties on a regular basis. And so Peter began talking through um, our salvation. And he talks about it from a a future, a present, and a past aspect that it's, it's worth waiting for in the future, that God has prepared something for us that will not fade, it doesn't pass away, it doesn't corrupt, it doesn't corrode. There's an inheritance waiting for us. There are reserved seats, so to speak. In the present, it's worth rejoicing in. It allows us to face the trials of life with hope and joy. And then in the past, it's always been worth sacrificing for. As we read through uh, several passages in the Old Testament and the New as well, that, that people in the past have always been willing to sacrifice that the gospel would continue to go forth, that God's Word would continue to spread, even if we said they knew that they weren't going to be the ultimate beneficiaries of that, that they were doing that for somebody else. It was really the ultimate sacrifice. I'm willing to give Everything for some people that I don't even know. And then we talked about how Jesus is the ultimate example of that, how he, he does know us. He knows our sin. He knows our failures. He knows our rebellion. And He was still willing to sacrifice for us. And then Peter then lays out, so our response to that, and he gives us five commands. Be holy as God is holy. This impossible standard and yet something that we're called to meet. And so he says that we should set our hope completely on grace. We should live in the fear of the Lord. We should love one another earnestly. And then in our daily lives we should long for the gospel because that's what allows us, helps us to make it through. And so back at the end of, let's see, this is May. So the end of March, I guess the last time we talked um, in First Peter, we talked about that idea of longing for the gospel. And then Peter says, because you've tasted that the Lord is good. He, he assumes that they have looked at their own salvation, looked at their own life and said, yeah, God has been good to me despite the fact that I'm not where I belong, that I'm facing persecution because of what Christ has done for me. Ultimately, I have tasted that God is good. A quote from Psalm uh, 34 and then right after that in Psalm 34, the psalmist says that we should we should come to God. And so Peter picks up that idea in a passage we're going to read in just a little bit um, in verse 4 and says, as you come to Him. He's still alluding to the Old Testament. In fact, in the majority of this whole chapter, Peter is just giving one quote or allusion after another to the Old Testament. What's interesting is Jesus alludes to and quotes the exact same chapters and verses in the last week of his life. And so we want to go back and look at what Jim read just a little bit ago because that will inform this passage, specifically Psalm 118, Isaiah 28, Isaiah 56. So if we'll look back at uh, Matthew 21, remember that Jesus comes in the last week of his life, Palm Sunday, the Sunday um, before he's crucified on that Friday. And the people shout and call him son of David and actually quote Psalm 118 to him. He comes in and, and clears the temple. He, he runs out the money changers. And they say, what authority? Why are you doing this? How, are, how can you do this? We're the ones in charge. And then Jesus tells them a couple of parables, which Jim read. One, two sons. One said, I'm not going to do it. And then he went and obeyed. And one said, I will obey. And then he didn't obey. Clearly, the is actions speak louder than words. And he tells the religious leaders, there are going to be some people who are going to get into the kingdom of heaven before you, and maybe even instead of you, because even though they've disobeyed up to this point, they've now seen the truth and they are following after what's right and you who've said all along we're doing what's right really aren't. Then he tells them a parable about uh, a man who, who leased out his vineyard to some growers and they, he sent his slaves to get some of the produce and they abused them and they treated them poorly. Then he said, I'll send my son. And they killed him in hopes of being able to kind of control the vineyard on their own, fearing that the sun would come and and take over because of their behavior. And and Jesus said, what's going to happen is the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you and given to people who will produce fruit. And then he quotes Psalm 118. talks about himself being the cornerstone. That word is used in several places in the Old Testament for the leaders of the people. And he says in 21.42, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, referring to himself. That verse is quoted three or four or five times in the New Testament. Every time referring to Jesus, he refers to himself. I am the cornerstone. I am the leader. This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. And so all of that backdrop of Jesus saying, I'm upset with the way that you're treating people because he says the temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Again, quoting Isaiah 56. And what you've done is you've turned it into a place where all the nations are being abused and taken advantage of. You're charging excess interest. You're making them change money for the right money, charging them for that. Instead of, instead of welcoming the nations and, and allowing them to see my character, which is merciful and kind and loving and generous, what you're showing the people is that I really take advantage of those who've come a long way to see me. Because it's the people that image God. And so he's upset with that and he tells them, what I need, what I'm looking for is fruit. And you're just plucking the fruit and keeping it for yourself. You're being greedy. You're being selfish. And so with that backdrop, we come to 1 Peter. And Peter tells us these things beginning in chapter 2, verse 4. Back up to the end of 3. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to Him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... Let's pray together. Father, as you look at your word this morning, I pray that you would open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and ultimately our wills to respond in obedience. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, He begins by saying, as you come to Him. We've talked about it before. Uh, I'll talk about it again. The New Testament does not know of believers that come to him outside of a fellowship, a group of people, the church. In the context of this whole passage, he's not talking about us coming to him individually. He's talking about us coming to him as a people, as the church. That doesn't mean that we don't come to him individually, but we don't get that from this passage. There are lots of places in the Bible we can talk about you should be spending time in His Word on your own, you should be spending time in prayer on your own. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about as we come together. The whole context of all the allusions to Matthew 21, the week of Passover. See, the Jews came during Passover celebrating what God had done, their deliverance from slavery in Egypt and looking forward to expecting what God will do, in their minds, deliverance from Rome, ultimately the message of the Old Testament, deliverance from the enemy, which we know, and what Jesus' purpose was to deliver them from the enemy, which is sin, the enemy of ourselves, the enemy of the devil, the enemy of the world. And so they came celebrating together as a nation, and they came expecting together as a nation. And so do we do that? When we come on on Sunday mornings, do you come prepared to celebrate? What God has done, He's delivered us from the power of sin. He's delivered us from the penalty of sin through the cross. And do we come expecting what ultimately He will do one day? He'll deliver us from the presence of sin. Do we come expecting what God's going to do. And when we do that, do we come prayerfully preparing our hearts? Do we think about that on Friday or Saturday? Do we think, what do I expect God to do when I show up on Sunday? Do you expect God to do anything when you show up on Sunday? Or is it just that's what we do? We get up, we put on maybe different clothes than normal and we show up on Sunday and we spend couple of hours and with people and we enjoy the music and we listen and then we go home and I may or may not make any choices that affect the rest of my week depending upon what happens sometimes yes sometimes no do you expect anything and do you prepare your hearts to expect anything do you pray for each other on Saturday God would you prepare our hearts Cause it's not just about you it's not just about me. God, would you prepare our hearts to receive what you have? Would you make us a family? Do you allow yourself to get rest on Saturday so that you are awake? Now, I do have to say, and I'm very thankful, that at least not that I've observed in the last three and a half years, have I ever seen anybody fall asleep in here? So I, so, so I appreciate There's it. always the first time, right? Someone, <laughs> someone in just a minute's going to nod off, right? Um, and I do. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, there are people who are here and are awake. But do we prepare not just our bodies physically to pay attention, but our hearts and our souls in prayer? Do we, are we expectant of what God is going to do? if our week has not been the way we thought it was going to be, if we succumb to the temptation of sin, do we prepare our hearts in repentance and seeking God's mercy, trusting in His grace and His goodness? Do we come with an attitude of celebration and joy? So we we come as a body, as a church. We come expectant. We come prayerful. A second... We, we come to Jesus, um, he says, a living stone rejected by men. We need to keep in mind that we are coming to one who has been rejected. We need to be aware of that. We are coming to one who was despised by people. They didn't appreciate what he was doing. And Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. So when we come to him as one who is rejected, we need to keep in the back of our minds, if they did that to him and I'm identifying with him, they're probably going to do that to me at some point in time. I'm going to be rejected as well. The good news is, is that we come to one who was not just rejected by men, but he was chosen and precious by God. Ultimately, it was not that they rejected him. The good news is that he came to a group of people and he laid his life down purposefully for people who rejected him. All those religious leaders, the Pharisees, you and I, Rebellious people, Jesus came to lay His life down for us, for them. So we come to Him as rejected, but also as one who came for people who rejected Him. And in God's eyes, He's chosen. And He's precious. And it really is, is, is how we come to Him. By faith, Peter says, and Jesus said in Matthew 21, those who believe, and there's this understanding that believe is going to result in some kind of action, that's going to determine really honor and shame, Peter says in verses 7 and verse 8. Right, there's shame for those who don't believe and ultimately destruction, that stone is going to fall on them and crush them, Jesus says. It's going to offend them, Peter says but honor for those who believe. Because you see, not only are we identified with Him in His rejection in front of the world, but when we identify with Him, we identify with Him from God's perspective as His beloved Son. And we become partakers of that divine nature, Peter is going to say later. And we get to share in the honor of our brother who went before us. And that's good news. And that's what we celebrate this morning with the bread and the wine. Because on the night that he was betrayed, the night that he was ultimately rejected, he took the bread of the Passover meal as they were gathered together as a family, and he said, this, that we've, that we've broken, that we've passed out, this is my body. It's broken for you. It's given to you. It's meant to nourish you. It's meant to give you life. And then after supper, he took the fruit of the vine and the cup and he passed it out and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Not the old covenant. Not when we keep having to bring those sacrifices. Peter's going to get to that too. You know, there's, there still are sacrifices to be made but it's in a different way now. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is something new. I'm doing something different. And so we come this morning to celebrate that as a body, but we also come expectant. Do you you expect God to use this little bitty piece of cracker and this little bitty cup of juice? Do you expect God to use that with us, not necessarily you individually, to nourish us and propel us into this week. With the certainty and the assurance that God loves me and also the charge that He expects to use me for His glory. Would you take a moment where you are? And would you pray, God, help me to expect what you're going to do. if if your attitude this morning is this is just something we do, you know, kind of once a month, every once in a while, and we go through the motions, and would you say, God, would you help me understand what you're doing? Would you help me develop a heart of expectation that this really is something that you've commanded us to do, that we would understand your love, that we might be His people? Would you pray that prayer? And then we will pass out the elements, and we'll partake together. Let's pray. And so we've we've come to Him in this celebration, in this expectation. Um, been nourished spiritually, is my prayer. Um, and in verse 5, in one sense, we're called to be like Him because Peter says, You yourselves... Like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we have a we have a role to play. Since we're being built up into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices. <clears throat> The house really is, as Jesus referred to it, my father's house, the temple. It was the place where people came to meet God. And he says, now that's the church. That's the gathering of people, the universal church, all those who have placed their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, but also specifically the manifestation of that universal church for this group of people here in Andrews, North Carolina, the local church church the manifestation of his body and he says we're to offer spiritual sacrifices well what happened in the temple well the priests would offer sacrifices and and lots of different kinds there was guilt offerings and there was sin offerings and there was praise offerings and thank offerings there were first fruits but all of those in one way or another were offered so that the people could have a better relationship with God That people could be closer to God, that people could relate to Him, and so when we're asked to offer spiritual sacrifices, what does that mean? Because He says that we are down in verse nine. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're we're sort of in that place of those priests. What sacrifices do we offer? What sacrifices do we have to offer? Remember in Matthew 21, he was upset that the people were hindering others from coming to God instead of helping them come to God. They were more interested in the status quo and profit than they were relationship. So what do we sacrifice? I mean, you should know the answer, right? If, we're, if Jesus sacrificed and he's the cornerstone and we're now living stones because we relate to him, The sacrifice is us. Our desires, our wills, our wants, our way. All of those things that get in the way of other people seeing who God is. The spiritual sacrifice is ourselves. That's what we offer. On behalf of someone else that needs to relate to God better. That may be somebody in this room. It may be other believers. It may be that you give of yourselves that they can relate better to God. Or it may be someone who's not a believer. Are we willing to be selfless that they may get a glimpse, a small picture of what God is like? The one who truly gave everything that we might be with Him? Or as Paul says in, in Romans 12, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable or pleasing to God. The same language that Peter uses. And he says, we're to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's us. We don't have anything else to offer. What else do you have that you can give beside yourself? That's what he's calling us to do. And then... In verse 9, Peter reminds us again who we are. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He was using metaphors earlier. We're living stones. We're a, we're a house of God. We are, But now he's being very clear. This is who you are. And then he tells us why. Why has God made you a holy nation? Why has God made you a royal priesthood? Why has God chosen you and called you His people? Well, He says, in verse 9, "...so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." What are those excellencies that we're to proclaim? Well, I think he, He tells us that God is the one that calls people out of darkness into light. God is the one who makes people who aren't His people, His people. He says, down in verse 10, You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. God is the one who, people who don't have mercy, He gives them mercy. And He asks us to proclaim these things. That's why He's made us who we are, so that we will proclaim that He's the one that calls us out of darkness, He's the one that calls us His people, makes us His people through the blood of His Son. He's the one that gives us mercy. Now, here's the hard part. We can do that using words, and we should. The gospel does not go forth without the spoken word. If we don't tell people who and what they're supposed to believe, they won't know that. What's interesting, though, and we'll get to that in the coming weeks is that Peter very specifically talks about how we do that. And at least early on, he doesn't mention words. And again, I think this goes back to what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 21. I'm going to get a people who are going to produce fruit. And he specifically uses the word believe. And we know if we've read enough of the Gospels that when Jesus talks about belief, there's always something that's with that. Our belief necessarily produces action, produces fruit. And so what I would like for you to do this week, two things. Number one, I want you to spend some time dwelling and thinking and meditating on the fact that you were called out of darkness into light. It's good to remember who we were. Uh, Paul talks all through Ephesians 2, the first half of Ephesians 2. This is who you were and then now what God has done for you. So it's good to think back what we were like. So I want you to meditate on that God has called you out of darkness into light, that you were once not His people and now you are, and that you at one time had not received mercy and now you have. We need, as a body, as individuals, meditate and think on that. And then I want you to think, what is my response? And while you're thinking about that, I want you to read the rest of 1 Peter again. And then let me just give you a heads up of what you're reading for. I don't want to miss that. He says, in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, so remember the people that aren't where they're supposed to be, You're uncomfortable, you're out of place. He says, I don't care about that. Here's how you're supposed to respond to this truth. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. We put to death our sin, which wage war against your soul. And then he says, keep your conduct excellent among the Gentiles. He's talking about our behavior. Keep your conduct excellent among the Gentiles. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We say, well, what, can you be specific, Peter? And then for the next two chapters, he's extremely specific. And there's a word that keeps getting repeated over and over and over again in all kinds of our relationships. And it's the word submit. You want to know what fruit looks like? You want to know what Living stones look like they submit in all kinds of relationships. And I want you to read through the rest of 1 Peter this week as we think about darkness to light, not His people to His people, not mercy, receiving mercy. And recognize that Jesus said over and over, I only do what the Father asks me to do. Jesus submitted to the Father. And if we think we can have any impact on this world without looking like Jesus who submitted to the Father, then we've deceived ourselves. I may be able to stand on the street corner and proclaim in loud, confident voices what God has done for me, and if my actions of submission to the things that Peter and the rest of the Bible call us to, it won't make a lick of difference. Do we come to life with an attitude of humility and an attitude of submission to those things that are in authority over us. And that's what Peter and we will flesh out over the next several weeks. When he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, he's not just talking about that we smile. He's talking about how we relate to each other and to the world around us. And does it look like Jesus? And that's difficult because we'd rather do something different. We'd rather build our own kingdom. We'd rather make ourselves look good. We'd rather impress people by our bank account or our status or our prestige versus our humility and our willingness to serve. And that's hard because we're selfish human beings. Because we expect one day to be delivered from the presence of sin good news is you've been delivered from the power of sin and the penalty of sin and so we can as peter says put to death those desires that want to build ourselves up and we can submit to him through the power of the spirit in our lives so would you do that this week and as we talked about last week would you continue to pray for each other Because we need that. We need to be reminded. Because this doesn't make any sense if God doesn't really love us. This doesn't make any sense if He's not really present with us, as we talked about last week. And so would you continue to pray for another that we would know His presence and His love. And that we would be willing to do what He's called us to do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your grace God, I thank You for the truth in Your Word. As hard as it is sometimes, God, I pray that You would would change our attitude toward it. I confess that there are numerous times when I really would rather build my own kingdom. That I'd really rather have my way. That I really would wish that my will, that everyone would just adopt it. God, I pray that You would conform us to the image of Your Son. So that our will and our way and our kingdom really is your will and your way and your kingdom. That you might be glorified and that people would be able to come unhindered to you. May we not be like the religious leaders that put up barriers to who you are because they wanted to keep their hold on life secure. Work in our hearts, God, for your glory.